Good morning. <clears throat> Realizing when I turn my head away to cough, the microphone goes with me. <clears throat> turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. We'll look there in a moment, beginning in verse 18. I have the joy and the privilege of preaching the final sermon in a series that we've been preaching through John's gospel over the past couple of years. We've gone line by line, verse by verse. We've We've trekked our way through and have heard week in and week out John's call to believe on the Lord Jesus and live. So look with me there. In John chapter 1, this, this final section beginning in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back on his bosom at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? So Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Therefore this saying went out among the brethren that that disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he would not die, but only if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is testifying to these things and wrote these things and we know that his testimony is true. And there are also many other things which Jesus did which if they were written in detail I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. Thus saith the Lord. Pray with me again. <clears throat> Father, thank you for the glory 
that you have held out to us over these past couple of years in the face of your Son in this gospel. Thank you for what we just read. That these things that we have heard about this Jesus, the testimony of the apostle, are true. We're staking our lives on this man and that what you have told us about him is true. And so, as we're coming to the end of John's gospel, John's call to us is not going away. But the call to believe and live is going to keep coming to us through your word, week in and week out. And so we pray that you keep doing what you've done for us in John, that you keep pulling the curtain back and helping us to see this Jesus to be as great and awesome and as worthy as he is and that you would keep causing us to believe on this Jesus we need your help now Lord to see him to see what he's doing to hear his voice to hear this call to follow him is not some distant abstract thing but as the call to every single man, woman and child in this room and we need your help that by your spirit you would cause us to obey and to follow him <clears throat> Oh Lord, only you can take sinners who are marching straight to hell willingly and cause them to stop and turn around and go the exact opposite direction to follow after Jesus so Lord we ask you to do that do that this morning Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.
I was able to stand in this pulpit a couple of weeks ago and preach, and one of the things that tried to point out in that sermon was the distinction between John's gospel and the synoptic gospels, and in particular, how they begin. And I pointed out that in John's gospel, rather than beginning with the birth of Christ or a genealogy, and I said, even as Mark's gospel begins with this declaration that that Jesus is the Son of God, that John begins in eternity past, and he's showing us Christ, the Word, the pre-existent, eternal, second person of the Trinity. And this morning, just, just as there's a distinction in how uh, John's gospel begins with the synoptic gospels, there, there's also a distinction uh, in how his gospel ends, in how John ends his gospel. Matthew's gospel ends after the resurrection with the great commission and a declaration of Christ's authority over, over all and the promise that, that he'll be with his disciples to the end of the age. Mark's gospel ends point blank with the resurrection. The women arrive at the tomb. They see that the stone has been rolled away. They're greeted by an angel who tells them that they're looking for Jesus, but he's not there. He's risen. He tells them to go and tell the disciples that he's going to go ahead of them to Galilee and, and, and that they'll see Jesus there. And then it ends with the women leaving and saying nothing to anyone, understandably, probably frightened, amazed by this experience. It doesn't even end with them telling the disciples what the angels told them to say. Luke's gospel ends after the resurrection with Christ appearing to two of his disciples on the road to Emmaus and then to the others as well. And he he gives them a, a, a glorious exposition, the details of which we don't have, about how the entire Old Testament was looking ahead and pointing toward Jesus and talking about him and was being fulfilled in him. And he does give them a commission, but, but then he leads them out and he, he, he ascends in the presence of the disciples. But here in John's gospel, John, he's, he's chosen to emphasize a few other things. He's already told us in verse 31 of chapter 20 why it is that he has written this gospel. He wrote, it is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's why he's written this gospel. That's his purpose statement. And you would think, I would think, that after that, that would be a good place to stop. I would think this is, this is where the book needs to end, and yet he doesn't. He keeps going after this purpose statement. He goes on in, in something of an epilogue for several more lines, and a large portion of this final section seems to focus on Peter. Our sermon text this morning, it begins with the continuation of the Lord's words to Peter from last week's sermon text in verses 15 through 17. And as we're continuing 
a discussion between Jesus and Peter, we see that where Matthew's gospel ends with a commission, Mark's gospel ends with a resurrection, Luke's gospel ends with an ascension, John's gospel ends with a follow. A follow. It ends with a call to follow. And in essence, it ends with a, with a picture in that call to follow of what it looks like for a person to believe and live. So we've got two headings this morning that we're going to consider. I think that it's the two main headings that John provides. Those two headings are these. The first is this, you follow me. That's number one. And the second that we're going to consider is Jesus is greater than you can possibly imagine. So those are our two headings this morning. Let's begin under that first heading, you follow me. It begins there in verse 18. Look again there with me. The Lord says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished, but when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. In thinking about verse 18 there, John tells us in verse 19 what Jesus is saying. The phrase in verse 18 that we just read, you will stretch out your hands, that was an understood way of referring specifically to crucifixion. Think of of the hands stretched out upon a cross. That was something, uh, a, a way of speaking of crucifixion that they understood what Jesus was saying. And John's readers would have understood that. And here, Jesus, he points to Peter's younger days, and then he speaks prophetically of Peter's end. And Jesus tells him explicitly that he, like like Jesus, will be bound, led away, and crucified. And history tells us that this is indeed exactly what happened to Peter sometime around 64 AD in Rome under Nero. And it's in the face of this prophetic word that Jesus, he calls Peter to follow him. Keep in mind, this this is coming immediately on the heels. It's in the same breaths in which Jesus is asking Peter three times if he loved him. It's in the same breath in which we see Peter being restored to the Lord Jesus that John also records what Jesus told him about the end of Peter's life. And the question that, that kept, kept coming to me, the question that I think is, is natural that, that comes to all of us when we would read this is, is why is this here? Why do we need to know this? Why did the early readers of John's gospel need this particular information about this foretelling of Peter's death? Why not end at verse 31 of chapter 20? 
where it kind of felt like that would have been a good place with that purpose statement. You've got that post-resurrection appearance and John's purpose statement for the entire book. Why, why the whole epilogue? When John writes this, Peter is already dead. It's already known that Peter proved faithful, that he was martyred. But listen to this. As John writes this epilogue, he doesn't say that Jesus told Peter these things to signify by what kind of death Peter would die. John says that Jesus was signifying by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. John doesn't end in chapter 20 because this epilogue, it says something about the nature of what it means to believe and live and it's illustrated in this restoration, Peter's restoration to Christ. And I think the point is this. Brothers and sisters, Peter makes it. Peter made it. Peter the denier, the one who in his misplaced zeal tried to to cleave Malchus's head in two in the garden, who followed Jesus as, as close as he could until he was asked directly whether he was one of the Lord's disciples and Peter denied Jesus. Do you remember that? He did not even knowing Jesus. He cursed and began to swear, saying, I do not know this Jesus. And if you go back there and you think about that, you put yourself there, you're thinking, if I'm, if I'm Peter, I'm putting myself in the same category as Judas. I mean, this, this is Peter we're talking about. And this is in contrast to the Apostle John, who here at the end of his own life is still faithful, just following the Lord just as faithfully as he had followed Jesus right into the courtyard and stood near Jesus when he was before the religious leaders. John's still here faithfully preaching Christ. Peter was the denier. And don't you think that as Peter is sitting there Grieved, it says, that the Lord is asking him a third time whether he loves him. Do you think Peter's even a little shocked that Jesus is telling him that in spite of his sin, in spite of his denials, something in effect that the Lord is not done with him? Peter, who all he wanted to do was was follow Jesus but seemed to falter and fail at every point, or at least the significant ones, is here and he's he's being restored. He's, He's told that he will in fact walk in Christ's footsteps and Jesus calls him. Even now, 
to come. Follow me, Peter. Brothers and sisters, have you ever been there? In the place of of wondering that in in light of who I am, in light of what I've done, maybe in light of how I've told everyone else how great of a Christian I am and then turned right around and burned the world around me, you you wonder, would, would Jesus even have me? Am I even allowed to come back to this Jesus and follow him? Or is my denial, my betrayal so deep and so grievous that the very best I can hope for is to to clamor out of the boat and hope that if I can just sit next to everyone else on the beach that maybe I won't be sent away. That maybe even if Jesus tolerates me, surely he doesn't want me. How could he? Surely he's not looking into my eyes and calling me to follow, right? Do you wonder whether it's even possible that God might be able to get glory in your life? This is not the first time in John's gospel that Jesus said the words, follow me, but from the very beginning in the very first chapter in verse 43, it's the same call that was made to his disciples at the beginning. Jesus said to follow me, And here to Peter, the call is the same that it's been throughout Jesus' entire ministry. And in spite of the the rash behavior, in spite of the emotional highs and lows, and in spite of the times that you put your foot in your mouth, Peter, in spite of the, the times three to be exact that you have flat out denied me, cursing and swearing that you don't even know Jesus, the call is still, there's not a different call. It's still, follow me, Peter. Jesus is not only willing to have Peter, he is restoring him. And he's willing to have you. He's calling you to come after him. Whether your record is pristine or whether your struggles have been more like those of Peter, the call is still to come and follow Jesus. God is not done with Peter. Peter's life is not over. On the contrary, John writes and he tells us that Peter made it. He followed Jesus in spite of of himself. And here's the thing, God got glory in the life of and in the death of that man. See, this is not about Peter and how great he is. If you're thinking, yeah, maybe, maybe I can be as great and as strong and as faithful and make it, make it to the end as Peter, you're missing the point and you haven't been reading the same gospel and you don't know Peter. 
This is not about Peter's faithfulness to Jesus. It's about the faithfulness of Jesus to Peter. Because you see, while Peter is in standing outside denying and cursing and swearing that he doesn't even know the Lord, Jesus was going to the cross to die as though he was the betrayer and as though he was the denier. And he was doing it so that men like Peter would believe and live and that his faith would be manifested in his life as he followed Jesus all the way to death so that God was glorified even in that man. You can probably remember hearing Pastor Jordan saying things sometimes like, uh, not only does God love you, but he also likes you. I love hearing Jordan say that. I need to hear that. But maybe, maybe you think that. Maybe you think that God loves you. You'll acknowledge that, but surely he could never like you. Right? Not with my past, not with my skeletons, not with my betrayals. My record looks more like Peter's than it does John's. Maybe you've denied the Lord. Maybe, maybe you've participated in things at your job where you're at every day and you've brought reproach on the name of Jesus so that people look at you and you're like, that's what Christians are like. Maybe you've had an abortion. Maybe you've committed adultery. Maybe you've lied and hurt deeply those closest to you. Maybe you've lied to your church. Now, I don't want you to get the wrong impression this morning. If, if you're living in blatant, open, unrepentant sin, it is not okay. And you need to repent. Because people who live in open, blatant, unrepentant sin are walking the path to hell. But if you're broken over your sin, you're owning your sin, you're actually repentant. That's what real repentance looks like, active, independent initiative against owned sin. It's a very different heart that I'm talking about this morning. But there's good news For that kind of heart, the Lord restores men like Peter. The Lord calls men like Peter to follow him. The Lord uses men like Peter, not because Peter is great, but because Christ is great. And don't don't miss this. This is not Peter telling Jesus how faithful Peter is going to be. And how he's going to hang in there to the end. This is Jesus telling Peter what will be the result of God's faithfulness in his own life as he faithfully follows Jesus. Peter is restored. Those denials are forgiven. The call to Peter is the same call that is before you and I this morning to follow Jesus. He will have you. Follow Jesus in all of the ways that we've seen over these past couple of years throughout John's gospel. Everything that we've looked at 
about what it means to believe and live, not the fluffy head knowledge, not the empty professions of faith, not the empty apologies, but receiving Jesus in all of his claims, his person, his deity and authority and glory, looking away from self in dependent trust upon Jesus as your sin bearer, submitting to him in obedience as your king, turning from sin in obedience to his commands and continuing, continuing in his commands as you persevere in bowing your knee in joyful worship to King Jesus. This is the kind of thing that John has in mind. It's the kind of thing that Christ has in mind. It's the kind of thing we've seen on every page of John's gospel in every call to believe and live and in the call of Christ here before Peter to follow me. So at this point, Peter gets up and, and literally begins to physically walk after Jesus down the beach. He's following him. And it says, beginning in verse 20, <clears throat> Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. John lets us know that it's, it's the same one who leaned on his bosom at supper, asking about who it would be that would betray Jesus. This is John who's following, he tells us. And then as Peter sees this man, John, in verse 21, he says, so Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, Lord, and what about this man? This is, this is not just a, a question of, of why is he following? Why is he following us? This is a question that's, that's stemming from what Jesus had told Peter about his own life and death. Peter's asking about the kind of death by which John would ultimately glorify God. And we know this is what Peter is asking because of the Lord's answer in verse 22 that we'll see in a moment. <clears throat> but essentially, Peter, he, he's asking, okay, Lord, you, you've given me this description of my own life and my own death. And honestly, it sounds a little graphic, not quite pleasant. Crucifixion, being bound, taken where I don't want to go. Well, what about him? What about that man? How is he going to glorify God in his life and death? And again, the Lord, he, he tells us something of what it means to follow him <clears throat> as he answers in verse 22. Look there. Jesus said to him, if I want him to remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, Peter, none of your business. You see, we've already drawn the contrast a little bit, but we're looking at two different men here walking behind Jesus down this beach. 
We're looking at Peter, who denied the Lord and was ultimately restored, who is told here by the Lord that he's going to live and grow old and then he's going to die the death of crucifixion as he follows the Lord Jesus. But then you've got John the Apostle. He's the one who leaned on the Lord's chest, asking about the betrayer. He's the one, verse 24 tells us, is testifying truthfully about Jesus. He's the one who stayed with Jesus as he was arrested and, and, and led before the chief priests. John was there at the foot of the cross, standing next to the mother of Jesus. He was standing there as Jesus breathed his last breaths and he's the one that Jesus tasked with caring for his own mother. He's the one of all the apostles who is here as an old man, not dying a martyr's death as did Peter and the rest of the 11. These are two very different men. They live very different lives, expressed faithfulness to Jesus in differing degrees at different times and had very different deaths by which they glorified God. Peter looks over and he sees this man and and asks the Lord, "What, what about him? And the Lord's answer is, don't worry about the other man, you follow me. John, he, he, he corrects his readers, and he addresses this, this idea. Apparently, there was this idea floating around that based on what Jesus said in verse 23, that, that maybe John would live until Jesus returned. John corrects that idea. Don't get that notion, he says, but as he does so, he's, he's trying to put the emphasis on what Jesus actually said. And the point is, is if I want him to live until I come, if I want him to get hit by a steamroller, if I want him to get on a boat and sail the seven seas, what is that to you? It doesn't matter what I'm doing with him. At least not in so far as the calling in front of you. Right now, you follow me. The ways that I'm going to get glory in the life of this man over here are not your concern and ought not to be your focus as you're following me. Your focus is me. And yet we do this, don't we? We, we question, the Lord just doesn't seem to be using me like he's using those people over there. I don't have the ministry of this person or that person or this or that celebrity pe- preacher. I don't have the conversion story of that person over there. Maybe I don't even know exactly when I was saved. What is God doing with them over there? Listen, I don't know if you've struggled with this personally. I've struggled with this, and I've ran into a lot of other Christians who have struggled with this. I have seen 
people, Christians, become so discouraged, like approaching depressed, melancholy, in their own walk with the Lord because it doesn't look like what they think other Christians' walk with the Lord looks like. I met many Christians who have become so discouraged because you're looking over at that other brother or sister and then you look at your own life and you think, literally, I just must be doing it wrong. Because they seem to have this abundant vibrant, overflowing, joy-filled walk with Jesus, and you're struggling to read your Bible for 10 minutes every day in the morning? You want to know some good news? Jesus is not standing beside you looking over at them saying, yeah, you ought to be really concerned with the details of how I'm going to get glory from their life. That's not what the Lord is saying at all. And we're standing there, we're trying to peek over his shoulders and see what he's doing in their life. And he's looking us square in the face and saying, follow me. Both Peter, who denied Jesus, and John, who was faithful the whole time, both alike are called to follow him. The attention is pulled away from others. No Christian can follow for another. You must follow the Lord. Pastor Rick cannot follow Jesus for you. Now, this is, this is not an excuse. We're not saying this is an excuse to be lackadaisical in your faith. We ought to be spurred on and challenged to press in hard after Christ by the faith of other brothers and sisters. But listen, you have the freedom. Christ has purchased this for you. You really are allowed to let God worry about how he's going to get glory in your life. You really are free to not hold yourself up against this guy over here and that woman over there and this saint over here. You really are free to just place your focus simply on following Jesus. You really are free to just love him and trust him and obey him. There are countless places in your life And in our culture, in our world, in our families, where we have the opportunity to follow Jesus, to be faithful to Him, to be obedient to Him, to die to sin and self, and in faith to bow our knee in obedience to our King. In the ways that we talk to our children, Preaching to myself. In the ways that we talk to our spouse, in the ways that we respond when challenged at work, in the ways that we refuse to go along with the ever-changing tide of a pagan culture, 
in the ways that we patiently bear with one another amidst disagreement, in the, in the ways that we can lay down our desires and preferences so that we can serve our brothers and sisters. I need to think more about how I'm talking to my wife than whether or not I think I'm spending as much time in prayer or Bible reading or whatever as this Christian over here. We forget that God gets glory as we seek to faithfully follow Him in all of the normal, everyday, and otherwise mundane places of our lives, the places where we in fact live about 99.99999% of the time in which Christ's voice is calling you to follow Him. Following Jesus is, is not going to be something that you will do way off later, someday, when you're spiritual. But the Lord is calling you to follow Him today, now. Now. When you leave this building, when you get in the car with your family, when you go home this afternoon, when you're met with countless opportunities to bow to your flesh and your sinful, selfish desires, the call of Jesus is right there in front of you to follow me and to deny yourself. It's the call to every one of us this morning, right now. Now, I want us to move on to this, this last heading, the second heading, I should say. It is the last. The second heading is this, I'm gonna say it again. Jesus is greater than you can possibly imagine. This is verse 25, the last verse in John's gospel. Look there and read with me in verse 25. John said, He wrote, there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were written in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. We touched on this a couple of weeks ago in John 20 in verse 30 where Jesus John told us that Jesus he'd performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that were not written in this book and pointed out how very intentionally and specifically John worked at choosing the specific signs that he did and how they're sufficient in every way so that what has been written is enough and sufficient that you would be able to believe and live. But why mention this twice? Why make this the final word 
in this gospel. If you haven't noticed already, that's, that's the question that, that, that keeps coming up is why, why this? Why this, John? Why are, you, why are you ending it this way? Why are you including this? But why mention this twice? Why make this the final word here? What is the sense that John intends to convey about this man, this Jesus in these final words? I, I, I want you to think about this with me. In a moment, we're, we're going to use our imagination, but uh, several years ago, I was listening through a sermon series. <clears throat> I was at Betty Farrell's house, and I was fixing her fence, and uh, I was listening through this sermon series on the, on the glory of Christ, and, and one of the preachers, I can't remember which number it was in, in this, this sermon series, but, but just... He was talking about how there's just no one like Jesus. And he pointed to the guards in John 7 when they came back to the ones who had sent them to arrest Jesus and, and they didn't have Jesus and, and they said, why didn't you bring him? And all they could say is no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. And then he, he used that phrase in, in, in this sermon. He, he was going here and there. But the, the one that sticks out to me, just talking about the uniqueness of Jesus, is that Last Supper and Jesus girding himself with a towel. And I remember this preacher saying, I think he said, Beloved, no one ever handled a towel like Jesus handled a towel. And just, just pointing to the uniqueness of Christ. And I want, you to, I want you to consider with me. Use your imagination. Consider John sitting there with whatever writing implement he had or however he did it, whether he had someone sitting there writing down what he was saying But use your imagination. Can you see him closing his eyes and thinking back over, over what he's just written? After he's thumbed through that Rolodex of all of the glory that he witnessed of this Christ. He started in eternity past. He described the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The one who said in the first chapter of this gospel, follow me. John can see the Lord's face. He can hear his voice. Can you see the Lord Jesus walking into a wedding in Cana of Galilee, smiling, full of life, the light of men, no one realizing 
who just walked into that wedding? Can you see him looking into the faces of the guests? Can you see him pointing to to the empty water pots and as the Lord of creation, as the Lord of matter, transforming water into wine? Can you see Jesus walking into the, to the temple with his eyes aflame, with zeal for his father's house like, like no Israelite had ever walked in before the true Israel stood there and driving out the money changers, flipping over tables, swinging a whip? Can you see him quietly and patiently Speaking with a Pharisee named Nicodemus throughout the night, telling him about the new birth and God's love for the world. Can you see him sitting tired by a well, speaking to a Samaritan woman? Can you, can you see him healing with the word? Go, your son lives. Do you see him by the Sea of Galilee with, with crowds all around him as he, as he goes up and he sits down with his disciples on the mountain and he proceeds to feed thousands of people from just a few fish and loaves. Can you hear him pray as he takes the bread in his hands and in view of everyone breaks it? Can you see him coming up on a man born blind, bending down and spitting on the ground and mixing up the spit in the dirt to make a little bit of mud and then picking it up with his hands and and rubbing it into the eyes of that man and sending him to, to wash, healing that man. Can you see Jesus standing near the tomb of Lazarus weeping? Can you see the tears on his face? Can you hear his voice calling out, Lazarus, come forth? Can you see Jesus there? Tears streaming down his face, raising a man from the dead, calling him out of the grave, knowing that he himself, Jesus, is about to die. And that Jesus has come back to this place willingly, the place he knows will be his death, so that he can give Lazarus life. Can you see him sitting there at the supper, Mary anointing his feet with that costly perfume, wiping his feet with her hair? Can you see him riding into Jerusalem with all of the people crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. Can you see him at the supper laying aside his garments? Remember, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Laying aside his garments and girding himself with a towel and using real hands to pick up a pot and some water and pouring it over the feet of his disciples.
having laid aside his garments like a slave, a servant? Can you hear him tell Judas to go and do what he's going to do quickly? Can you hear him speaking words of comfort to his disciples on that night? Can you hear him pray for his disciples in his high priestly prayer? Can you see him walking in the darkness into the garden? Can you see him tied up, arrested, led away, struck repeatedly, falsely accused? Can you see him standing before Pilate declaring, you say correctly that I am a king. For this reason I have been born and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Awesome man. Can you see Jesus there scourged with the crown of thorns on his head going out and bearing his own cross on his back? Can you hear the words? Because John heard them. It is finished. Can you see his bowed head and lifeless body hanging, dangling, dead, hanging by nails on two cross pieces of wood? Can you see his body carried and laid in a garden tomb? Can you see him standing alive, risen from the dead in front of Mary with his disciples holding out his hands which bear the nail prints and showing them his wounded side? Can you see him sitting at the seaside with his disciples risen, sharing a meal? By the time we get to verse 25 in the last chapter of John's gospel, the man that John has testified about, the man he has described, whose life has been recounted to us is a man unlike any other that has ever been known or seen. There's none to compare with this Jesus. He's given us an account of the life of Jesus that we could mine for an eternity of eternities. And there are depths of glory that are contained in this gospel in in single sentences, in single words that you could spend your lifetime mining for glory. And that you could spend your life gazing upon the beauty of this Jesus. And as John unfolds this tale of glory, he records for us these these few glorious moments in the life of the Lord Jesus and he comes to the end and he says, no, you don't understand. He's even greater than you could possibly imagine. If you tried to write in detail the things which Jesus did, the world would not contain the books that could be written. In essence, as as John records the call of Jesus to follow him, he reminds us in this last verse 
that this is one who is imminently worth following. So the only question that remains as we in this journey through John's gospel this morning is will you follow Jesus? Will you believe and live? Let's pray. Oh Lord, do it, do it Lord. Open our eyes, show us how great he is. Only you can do it. Cause us to believe and live, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.